Hey everybody and welcome back to Wednesdays with Watson. By now you know that my name is Amy Watson and I am your host. I am so excited about today's episode guys. Today is a second in a series of bonus episodes that we are dropping in between seasons. If you caught the last episode, Paying Attention to Trauma, Trauma and the Enneagram, you heard my story with my as I walked through understanding the blueprint, the Psalm 139-ness of who God made me, as I walked through and continue actually to walk through understanding who God made me and the framework of this tool that we use sometimes called the Enneagram. Now, I am a personality test junkie, but this one by far has been the most effective as it gets to the root of my core fears and my core desires, blind spots, childhood messaging, boundaries. We're going to talk about all of those things today. If you didn't catch the episode, I'll put the link in the show notes of the one before this. It's a solo episode of my experience with Carissa Harrison. And so before we bring Chris on to the show, I'd love to introduce you to her. She is a certified Enneagram coach, and she'll tell you a little bit about that. She is also doing some part-time pastor work, having been called into shepherding people for many, many years. She is married and a mom of three and just an incredible human being, loves the Lord and takes a gospel-centered approach to the Enneagram. And so I don't want to waste much more time and make sure that you are listening all through the episode as we will be talking about each of the nine Enneagram types And we'll be talking core fears, childhood messaging, boundaries. And then at the very end, Carissa will have a message for those of you out there who have experienced trauma for each Enneagram type. If you do not know your Enneagram type and you are interested in doing that, both Carissa and I highly recommend just Google the Enneagram Institute uh, or go to the Enneagraminstitute.com. I am not being paid to, to, to tell you that. That's just the one that I used, and I think it's $5. There are some free ones out there as well. So without further ado, let's drop into this episode with my Enneagram coach, who has become a friend, Carissa Harrison. Hey, Carissa, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited that you are here with us today. I have been looking forward to this so much. Thank you for doing this. Oh, Amy, my pleasure. I've been excited too. Thank you for having me. Well, you are welcome. I feel fortunate to have you. So for listeners who are listening, this is Carissa Harrison, as I mentioned in the intro. And gosh, I, I, I was trying to think of when, but, but I engaged Carissa as my own Enneagram coach. And um, if you listen to the last episode, you know my experience as an Enneagram 2 and working with an Enneagram coach. And so I asked Carissa if she would come on and help us understand the Enneagram and understand awareness and so or understand the importance of awareness I should say and so we are going to just start first of all Chris I have a quick question for you and I've been actually wanting to know this is one of your clients too these three questions I want I want to know is one of your clients the first one and perhaps the most important one is what made you want to become an Enneagram coach (laughs) well you know here's the short version of a long story is that I stumbled onto the Enneagram as a tool about 10 years ago and started using it for my own personal and spiritual growth and just experienced tremendous transformation in my life. It just helped me connect puzzle pieces and fill in blanks and connect dots that I hadn't previously been able to do. And then from there, I started using it as a leader 
and seeing how quickly it would help other people understand themselves and how quickly it would help me understand the people around me and extend greater compassion to them. And so in, you know, 2020, I wound up getting certified to go ahead and become a certified Enneagram coach. And just really with the heart of, I want to help people experience change and transformation. And the Enneagram in my experience is one of the best tools to make that happen. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I am a personality test junkie and um, have done them all. And, and the Enneagram has been the most powerful for me too. And I think you use an important word there, tool. Um, it is not everything. And so we want to, want to partner it, obviously, or, or pair it, if you will, with a gospel-centered approach, which sounds like you do, which leans, leads me to my next question. So you are a pastor. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yes, I am. I've been a pastor, you know, in some way, shape or form now for over 15 years. I started out as a youth pastor fresh out of college at Biola and eventually became an associate pastor, a teaching pastor. I'm still currently serving, although very part time because I'm Enneagram coaching the majority of my time. But I love the local church and the local church just absolutely changed and transformed my life in significant ways. And I have a pastor's heart. I have a shepherd's heart. I never knew I was going to be a pastor. To be honest, I thought I was gonna be a pastor's wife. That was what I thought I <laughs> went to college to become. And lo and behold, went I to college, college to become. That's and great. Uh, had not been on a date or had a boyfriend. And then here I was graduating going, okay, God, well, what are you going to do with me? <laughs> so and he just slowly has helped my heart to open up to and evolve. He's helped my theology even evolve to go, I don't think I was called to marry a pastor. In fact, I know I wasn't because I've been married now for almost 15 years and he is not a pastor. <laughs> um, it, it was me. The calling was on my life. And so I am privileged to be able to weave together uh, the Enneagram work and using that as a tool with a, a pastor's heart and experience. And I also have to mention, Amy, I have a lot of clients who come and work with me who have no desire for a faith-based approach to the Enneagram. And I love those clients and I love working with those clients and um, getting to be a part of their change and transformation. Because the thing that I know about God is he's incredibly gracious to us. And so whether we understand that God is working in our life to bring about change and transformation, or we have no clue that that is who is, who is behind it all, um, he somehow still manages to find ways to love people and to embrace them and to welcome them into healing and transformation. And I just am grateful I get to be a small part of that. Well, you are in a very effective part of it, and and people who, who listened to my last episode know that about my experience, and so I love the pairing of it. And so those were deep questions before we dive into the Enneagram. Everyone who knows me knows I'm going to ask this question. So you have some Alabama connections, and um, whether or not we continue this interview, your, 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 the answer to your next question really highly depends on this. So Roll Tide or War Eagle, Carissa Harrison? Switzerland. <laughs> nice. Well so, done. <laughs> I know. I grew up in Alabama, but I wasn't 
I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't born there. My family wasn't from there. And so everybody in my life would die hard one or the other. And I just would kind of look at people like, what is the big deal? And so I never actually chose a team. That is fantastic. War Eagle is the right answer for for, for, for the oh. record. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, guys, well, we have, an, we, as you guys know, I, we like to dive deep and we like to do it fast. And so um, the first thing that that I would really love for Carissa to do, for those of you who have tuned in, who may be like, what's the Enneagram? You, you might have need to be living under a rock if you don't have, if you've never actually heard that word. But, but first, Krista, what I would love for you to do for us is give, uh, tell us like an overview of the Enneagram, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so the Enneagram is a Greek word that just stands for nine, the number nine, and drawing. And it really is, at its simplest, a personality framework that helps us understand why we think and feel and behave the way that we do. And so the Enneagram is distinguished, the nine types are distinguished, not by how we behave, not by our personality patterns, but by our internal motivations. What are the core motivations that are actually driving the way that we think and feel and behave? And this is what sets the Enneagram apart from DISC or Finders or Myers-Briggs. And in my opinion, it's what makes it that much more powerful. Because we're not just treating the stuff on the surface, we're getting to the root of what's causing the stuff to happen. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that's actually the most simplistic explanation I've ever heard. And so people are probably wondering, hey, I thought this was a podcast on PTSD or a podcast on trauma. And it is. But I also um, am very adamant about providing tools for people and I know that in my own experience, while neither one of us from a professional standpoint can speak to trauma, with the exception of I, I have a fair amount of it and, and have studied it and have this is my 42nd episode on it. So why are we talking about the Enneagram on a podcast about trauma? Because of what you just said, when we get to the root of who we are, then we can understand how we respond to trauma why we can live in the same household with somebody that experiences the same trauma that 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 doesn't in fact have PTSD or any of the things and so i want to be really clear with listeners that we really are talking about emotional intelligence here but certainly on a podcast about trauma what you're going to hear today is advantageous to helping you understand and maybe even process trauma whether it's active or not or more importantly, taking a proactive approach, because if you've not experienced trauma, and I have in the intro given you the definition of that again, then you will. However, everybody on this planet in the last 18 months has experienced some sort of trauma. And so this, po- this is one of the few podcasts that is for everybody in the world. And so, okay, so let's start with the centers of intelligence. Talk to us a little bit more about those. There are three of them, and then there are numbers that go into each of those three. So let's talk about the centers of intelligence first. Okay, so I love working with centers of intelligence because it helps us understand how we as individuals are processing information and making decisions. And what we understand because of just ancient wisdom, and now what neuroscience has helped us to understand is that our brain is not just in our head, that our mind runs throughout our body, that we have you know, neurons in our our brain, in our head, we have them even in our heart and then in our gut. So now there's all this research going on about our gut brain, which is why 
when we have an experience, sometimes we feel it in our gut. There's like a gut punch, right? Or, um, you know, we feel it in our heart. All three of those areas, the head, the heart, and the gut give us really important information. And depending on what Enneagram type you are, you have a primary center of intelligence, which is the one that you lead with when you're processing information or making a decision. You have a secondary center of intelligence, which is kind of there in a supporting role. And then you have a third center of intelligence that is either misused, overused, or totally repressed. So to kind of give you a breakdown of them, you have types eight, nine, and one who are in the body or gut center of intelligence. And so they are going to be intuitive. Uh, they are going to be action oriented. They are going to say things like, I don't know how I know, I just know. And it's that unconscious level of information that we have access to quicker than the conscious information running through our mind. Is, does that kind of explain that that first one well, Amy? Very well, actually, yes. Now, okay. to, my, now to my favorite one, mine. Yes. Okay. So now we have the heart center of intelligence or the feeling center, which is where types two, three, and four live. And so they're going to process information through the heart center. They're going to be constantly aware of how do the people around them feel about the situation and how do I feel about the situation? And so they typically are processing information and leading with the heart center. And then we move on to the head center of intelligence, which is your types uh, five, six, and seven. And they are accessing their strategic thinking, the planning, the analyzing in their mind of things before they are then maybe accessing body next or heart next. So that kind of gives you a picture of all three. Yeah, and I just think it helps us understand. Again, the, the point of this podcast is to help us understand, to make us aware so that we can we can alter our behaviors and 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 taking a deep dive into healing if we have in fact experienced trauma. And so that leads us into you talked about those core motivations and and I think sometimes that they're also and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this but it that is tightly connected to our core fear. Um and and they and so they are they are part and parcel. And so again, you're on a trauma podcast and I want to start with the core fears of each enneagram type. Because fear and trauma is a disastrous combination. And so if we can help people out there listening, particularly the nine people who have agreed to come onto the podcast behind you, behind, um, you, if we can help them understand their core fears, I want some of them to have aha moments. And so on this first question, when we talk about core fears, we're going to start with, with one and then and we'll go all the way down to nine. But so I want to start with core fears. Let's talk about type one and the, um, the core fear of the Enneagram type one. Can you tell us what that is and kind of walk us through that? Yeah. So let's start first with what the core fear actually is before we dig into the specifics of the type one. So when we're talking about the core fear of our Enneagram type, it's the thing that we are each running from. It's the thing we're trying to protect ourselves from, the thing that we're trying to prevent from happening. And oftentimes this is an unconscious motivation that's driving the way that we think and feel and behave. 
So when we talk about fears, think about it through the lens of this is the thing for my type that I am trying to prevent from happening, that I'm trying to keep myself from experiencing. I'm trying to protect myself from this. So for the Enneagram type one, the core fear is of being wrong, bad, evil, inappropriate, unredeemable, or corruptible. Interesting. Tell me more specifically about the inner critic of the Enneagram one. So, so let's dive a little bit more into that, what that fear actually translates into. And we all know what those words mean. But, but in particular, I'm of particular import, I'm interested in that inner critic that, that I've read on, on your Instagram post so much about. Yeah, so the inner critic is something that uh, is unique to the type one. We all experience an inner critical voice to some degree or another. With the Enneagram type one, what we have found is that their inner critic is relentlessly mean. Mm. It never stops. And it is constantly judging the individual and the circumstances and people surrounding the individual. And so, you know, sometimes with the Enneagram type one, people think the type one is looking for everything that's wrong, that they are scanning to find the mistakes. But that's really not what the experience is like. What's actually happening is the uh, inner critic is bombarding the type one with everything that's wrong. So when a one walks into a room, it's not that they go looking for what's wrong or when they're reading, you know, a post, they're not looking for the typo. It's that the, the mistakes bombard them. They, they almost, um, they, they jump out at them and grab their attention, so to speak. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And we're, we're going to talk about the twos in a second, because as everyone knows, you're my Enneagram coach. And I think one of the most comforting things that I, that you talked to me about was like the twos are second only in, in the inner critic to the, to the ones. And so as, as we, as we, one of the, the things that I love that you do on Instagram and guys, if you're not following her on Instagram, you should do that. But this is, this is something really interesting and a tool that I think we can give that Carissa has when, when this fear, so we're back to the Enneagram one, when this fear is triggered, you may find yourself hyper aware of the inner critics criticism and respond by trying to protect yourself others and the world around you and so i think that that as as it pertains to when when we try and when i try and i say i because chris is the enneagram coach here and i'm the one talking about trauma but my 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 type one listeners who have experienced trauma i bet that that inner voice is is loud your trauma may highlight guilt and shame that does not belong to you. You know, I think that the lies are loud, but but they're definitely louder for you. And I just want to remind you guys that we have an enemy who has come to seek, kill, and destroy us. We see that in John 10.10. And there's a song by Josh Bales, and there's a lyric, and it's, when the lies are loud, let the gospel drown them out. And we know, type ones, that in 1 Peter 3.19, that we are handed down a legacy of being spotless, because Jesus' blood covers it. And so when I try to, in my brain, as little Amy Watson in the Wednesdays with Watson podcast, connect the type one inner critic with the Enneagram, I can see how the type one may be relentlessly horrible to themselves. 
it's tough to be a type one. It, it really is. It's, it's tough to, um, to experience the criticism of the inner critic. It, it's tough to, uh, to live in such a way where you have a constant demand that you are perfect. Yeah. And that there's a right way to do everything and that you have to do it the right way. And so, you know, a lot of healing for the type one is learning to uh, manage the inner critic and to understand that the inner critic is not necessarily right, that just because we're thinking something doesn't make it true. And to remember, you know, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but to remember that you are good because of who God created you to be as a human being, as a son, as a daughter, that you are already good and that you make mistakes. We all do. We all make poor choices, you know, sometimes multiple times throughout the day, but that does not change that you are good, that you are created in the image of God, that you have inherent worth and value and dignity. And that is some of the truth that the type one um, works to internalize with the grace of God. Yeah, I love that. And, and I love that you are providing a message for each type, um, because I think that that's what a type one needs to hear. So let's move to type two. That is my type as is very, very documented everywhere. Um, what is the core fear of the Enneagram type two? So the two is afraid of being rejected and unwanted. They're afraid of being thought of as worthless, needy, insignificant, dispensable or unworthy of love. And so what winds up happening is because the two is trying to prevent this from happening, uh, they're trying to protect themselves from it. They intuitively focus their attention on the needs of everyone around them and trying to make sure that everyone around them is cared for and happy. Oftentimes to the expense of acknowledging and focusing on their own needs. And, and so I, I want to come back to that in a second, because I know you have more to say about that, but I want to, I want to say this is when, when we know that the type two is, is triggered. When this fear is triggered, you may find yourself hiding your needs while helping and supporting others in order to earn and love their support. And so again, I'm bringing the, I'm, I really want to try to help people who have been through trauma and who love them, I'm, I'm, I'm using this podcast as a tool. And so I'm just adding my message to my listeners. So for my type two listeners, I, I absolutely understand you and know you. And if you, you're, you're the lucky ones, you've hit the bonus, because if you want the deep dive into the Enneagram 2, the episode before this is my experience with Carissa, who we're still going through Enneagram coaching, and I'm still learning lots of things. But my listeners with trauma in this Enneagram type, you likely don't ask for help. You could uh, you, you cover your pain often by absorbing the pain of others. I want to encourage my type 2 people to remember Hebrews 4.15. That's the verse that we mentioned so many times on this podcast, is that we do not serve a high priest who is unfamiliar with our sufferings. Lean into that pain, because what Carissa just said, we intuitively pick up the pain of other people. And for me, at least as a two, I know that that is a way to not process my own trauma. You are probably struggling with feeling loved and wanted. I know this because so do I. And this is where community comes in. This is where paying attention has helped me. 
And this, for the Enneagram 2, we just want to be loved. And what better verse to give you than John 3.16? But Jesus gave his life for you to receive that truth, for that truth of John 3.16. And so, Chris, I would ask you, what would your message to the type 2s be? Well, and you know, these aren't not necessarily my messages. So I want to make that clear. Um, Every Enneagram type has a part of their core motivations. There's a core longing. And the core longing is the message that our heart longs to hear. And for whatever reason, the world just never quite satisfies that core longing. Our parents can never satisfy that core longing, no matter how amazing they are. Our spouse, our friends, our teachers, the world cannot completely satisfy it. And so we're always left kind of wanting more. And so for the two, it's that you are wanted and loved. Whether you meet another need or not, whether someone is pleased with you or not, whether you volunteer or you say no, you as who you are, are wanted and loved. Already. And um, I'm actually on Zoom like I am normally with Kristen. I just kind of felt like I was back in a coaching session. One of the things that you say to, to, to me, and I'm sure this is true about all the Enneagram types I just want to highlight here, is showing compassion for yourself in, in this regard, um, especially as an Enneagram too, because knowing that um, I'm already loved. And, and I remember, Carissa, you sending me when that song Gyra came out, you, you voxed me, the, the link, the YouTube link, and there's a lyric in that song that says, I've never been more loved than I am right now. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I've never been more loved than I am right now. I think that, yeah, that core, that, that's such, a, such an amazing message for the Enneagram Types 2s. We just want to be wanted and loved. And so that moves on to Enneagram 3, which I wing very heavily into. And we don't have time to get into wings, but you typically fall into one of the numbers on either side of you. You, you pull some of those, those traits, and I, 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 I lean strongly into a, a, a three wing so, and, and Chris, I think you probably can speak with some, some definite authority, double authority on the threes. And so tell us about the core fear of the three, please. Yeah. So the three is afraid of being exposed as or thought of as incompetent, inefficient, or worthless. They're afraid of failing to be or appear successful. So what's the biggest struggle for the Enneagram 3 with that fear? You know, uh, I think for the 3, it's there's a constant need to succeed, to achieve, to feel like in order to feel valuable and worthy, we have to be achieving, succeeding, Um accomplishing things we are we're constantly measuring and weighing our value based off of how we contribute and show up in the world and attaching our significance to all of that and you know and keep in mind that with every enneagram type there the strength and the potential liability are both sides of the same point so think about the enneagram too Part of what the gift is that they bring to the world is that they intuitively see what people need and what they're feeling, and they can come alongside and help and support and encourage. It's incredibly beautiful. So that's the gift. The flip side is that it's 
can be to the detriment of their own well-being. And they can struggle to say no and have boundaries and express their own needs. With the Enneagram 3, the gift that 3s bring to the world is that they are motivating and driven to achieve and get things done and can work really hard and make incredible things happen. You know, the flip side of that coin is, you know, they oftentimes can do that to the detriment of their well-being, of their relationships, of play. And, you know, some of the work for a type three is one of my favorite authors says it's learning how to be a human being instead of a human doing. Oh, wow. Who, who is that author? Richard War. Wow. Yeah. And so for a three to sit with that and to learn how to find contentment and experience the love of God, even when they're not accomplishing, even when they're not contributing, even when they're not successful, whatever that standard is, to just kind of sit back and understand. And here's their message. You are loved and valued simply for being you. Yeah. Simply for being you. You don't have to achieve. You don't have to work any harder. You don't have to do one more thing or check off one more box on a to-do list. You are loved and valued simply for being you. And that's 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 so hard for so many of us. Um, and so as, as I connected in my brain and on my podcast with trauma, I first want to read the when when the core so so threes out there that this this is these these little graphics have been very very helpful to me because it's kind of like oh that that core fear has been triggered and so here's for for three when the core fear of the three is being triggered you may find yourself as chris had really eloquently just just explained to us prioritizing work and success in a way that strains your well-being and your relationships and when I connect it to to trauma, to my listeners out there, trauma, as I mentioned, I wing into that three. Um, and so I can speak to some experience to this core fear because I get thrown into performance mode naturally. But when my trauma is activated, I find myself burning all the ends of all the candles because I need to make someone proud. I need to achieve. I need, I need something to show up to show my value. Moreover, I want to prove to the world that my trauma was not my fault. Like, I want to outperform it. Like, if I got that original trauma because of something I did, now I want to prove to the world that it is not my fault. It didn't happen to me because of any of those things. And again, I want to remind you guys, remember, those lies are loud. Let the gospel drown them out. And so, as as Carissa just said, if you're out there, you are valuable just because you woke up and God decided to keep your heart beating, not because of anything you've done. And if you if you've experienced trauma and you're you're this type, you may be tempted to blame yourself for it and to try to outperform it and not deal with it. And so and, and we're gonna talk about leaning into pain a little bit all through the season, but paying attention, guys, continue to bring awareness that as a as a type three you're going to want to be successful and you're going to want to be perceived as 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 successful and so with trauma comes into play you're going to be very tempted to believe that lie that that it's your fault and that's really true about all of the types we we blame ourselves i think but um and so that's for the enneagram 3s out there and so what is the core fear of the enneagram 4 
So the four is afraid of being inadequate, emotionally cut off, plain, mundane, defective, flawed, or insignificant. And so a four oftentimes has this false belief that there's something inherently wrong with them, hmm. uh, that they are deeply flawed somehow. And so that, that fear, the thing they're trying to protect themselves from is, is experiencing that or um, allowing the world around them to, to experience that. Yeah, it, it, fours are um, yeah, but, but again because they're they they are the first and that second center of intelligence that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. What do you think is the most difficult part for the for for the four, um, just kind of on the daily? So the fours typically are going to be the most deeply connected to their emotions. So, you know, we have the two, the three, and the four in the heart center of intelligence. The twos are very focused on the emotions of everybody else, but they don't often acknowledge their own feelings. Threes actually misuse and repress the feeling center. So even though they're in the heart center, they sometimes will connect with how other people are feeling but they typically, until they begin doing work, will avoid their own emotional world at all costs. So a three with trauma oftentimes is leaning into work and success and achievement in order to avoid dealing with all of the uncomfortable emotions. Oh, that was 100% me. Yeah. Yeah. And so a type four is deeply connected to their emotional world and can actually get stuck ruminating in the uncomfortable and negative emotions and in the trauma. And so we won't have time to get into this for every type, but every type has a specific defense mechanism that they utilize when they are struggling. And for the type four, it's introjection. And so instead of blocking out negative information, they introject. So they fully absorb internalize and incorporate information into their sense of self. So instead of it being something that happened to them, sometimes they can identify themselves as the negative emotion or as the negative experience. And that's a tough place to be. But remember, the gift is also the potential liability. So the gift of the four that they bring to the world is they are deeply empathetic and they can sit with people and hold space with them in their suffering and in their pain and provide a ministry that I don't know that very many others are capable of. That also gives them access to incredible creativity in the world. The potential liability is sometimes they can get stuck in that. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that about the creativity because my four that's going to come on after this is a beautiful artist, just just an amazing, an amazing artist. And so just kind of in keeping with, so everyone has the same information. So when the core, fe- when the type four uh, core fear is triggered, you might find yourself feeling lonely and misunderstood, causing you to pull away from others and move deeper into your inner world of emotions. And so listeners that are listening to me, um, as, as Amy, the, the, the trauma podcaster, you, your trauma is probably feeling, uh, your, your, excuse me, your trauma is probably fueling this fear. You may think your trauma happened because you were 
um, inadequate. You may you may fight too hard uh, to prove that you are you are adequate. You may want to to prove to the world that that you're not flawed. I hope that today that you will find rest that you're complete in Christ, that you're His workmanship and always enough. And we find that in in Ephesians two ten. And so as you are tempted to come into your especially if you have trauma to drop into that that you know just your your own world where whereby you feel like you're you're not enough out there um your your trauma is going to do nothing but positively reinforce that and so i think that um that 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 this is valuable information for for those of you sitting in that type four and i love what you said that they're able to hold space because that has been my experience with the fours that i've that i've had in my life and so now for the elusive fives, which I had to beg, borrow, and steal to find a guest that would come on for the Enneagram Type 5. Let's talk about the core fear of the Type 5. So the Type 5 is afraid of being annihilated, invaded, or of not existing. Uh, they're afraid of being thought of as incapable or ignorant, or even of having obligations placed upon them or their energy depleted. And so this type is tricky for people to understand if they are not a type five or living life in close relation to a type five. The best way I've heard this core fear articulated by one of my type five clients is that they are afraid of having someone suck the life out of them. Interesting. That, that that's the core fear that if they spend too much time in relationship or with people that, that they'll have the life sucked out of them. And part of this is because a five, one of the things that differentiates them a little bit is they kind of have this false belief around their energy. So a typical person gets a great night's sleep. They wake up in the morning and they feel like they have a hundred percent in their battery for the day. A type five gets the same good night's sleep. They wake up in the morning they feel like their battery is only at about 30%. And so they are protecting that energy reserve because they don't want it to be depleted. Mm. And so part of the work with a type five is helping them to understand that instead of withdrawing and isolating to protect their energy, that sometimes energy can be gained through relationship and through connection and the right kind of relationships with the right kind of people can actually pour life into them. Wow. Yeah, you, uh, this is absolutely the one that I understand the least. And so for type fives, when this fear is triggered for you, you may find yourself withdrawing from others and putting up strong boundaries to protect, as, as, as Chris has just said, yourself from feeling invaded. And so when I was preparing for this podcast when, and, and, and the connection with, with trauma, and as I prayed about what to say to each type as it pertains to fear, because trauma and particularly PTSD, fear is, is its worst enemy. And so for type fives, literally, I wonder if, you're, if, you, if you are the ones with trauma and, and, and literally you have been invaded and that invasion may have been placed, somebody might have placed an obligation on you that is overwhelming. And I'm, I'm thinking in the trauma world, especially, they may have placed an obligation on you like forgiveness, for example, like you, it, this is something that you didn't ask for. And, and, and now you are required to forgive. Or you may have been given something might have happened to you. And I'm thinking medical PTSD right now. 
that um, is also impeding on your world and invading your world and invading that energy that Krista just talked about. And so you may not speak up because of the fear of being ignorant or being embarrassed or, again, withholding that, that, that energy, as Krista was just talking about. You may think, it, again, like the other types, that it's your fault that you were, du- that you were duped or manipulated as, the, as these things invaded your little world that you're trying to protect so much because that's what trauma is by definition. So, you know, I, I would just encourage you guys, all of you throughout the podcast to make sure that you're following Carissa and all of the places and we'll provide that because she's going to continue to provide way more information than we can on this podcast about all of this. I'm just interjecting little things in here as I understand trauma and am understanding the Enneagram. And so the next up, um, I do life very closely with an Enneagram six and, um, and, and just one of my favorite people on the planet is an Enneagram six. I have benefited greatly from, um, the strengths of the Enneagram six for sure, but talk to us about the core fear of the Enneagram six. Okay, so the six has a fear of fear itself. They're afraid of being without support, security, or guidance. They're afraid of being blamed, targeted, alone, or physically abandoned. And so this fear of fear itself for the type six is that they are doing everything they can to avoid feeling afraid, which is part of why the six is constantly assessing and evaluating and even projecting and strategizing and coming up with all the different plans for things. It's because they're protecting themselves or trying to protect themselves from feeling afraid. Yeah. And, and I was, I I joked with you when I was telling you about, um, and, and my listeners will know Chrissy is my, is, is the person of whom I am talking about. And when I first, when we first became friends, we would go to movie theater and she would know every exit, know all the things. And, um, I'll go to her with an idea and she'll tell me all the reasons why everything that could go wrong. And it served me well because sometimes she's right. But before I give you her message, because she did give me a message today to give to listeners and she'll be on the podcast as well. But so this is how, you know, because trauma survivors often need little graphics like is on Chris's Instagram to go, Oh, that's my core fear being triggered. So for the six, this is when, when you know, when this fear is triggered, you may find yourself constantly questioning everything and everyone to try to predict the future. And so I went to Chrissy and I said, look, I'm, I'm talking to trauma survivors. What do you want them to hear as a six? And this is almost a direct quote from her. She said, you may find yourself paralyzed. And uh, so this is assuming trauma and trauma by its nature is our safety was compromised, particularly PTSD. Chrissy has been on the the podcast talking about her trauma and she'll be back on it, but something happened to her. Her safety was compromised. And this is what she said to me today. She said to tell the listeners in type six who have experienced trauma, you may find yourself paralyzed as you obsess on what happened. What did you do wrong? How can you avoid it from happening again? You're intensely afraid of of the blind side of it happening again. All of, my, all of your energy is spent on the worst case scenario, but what the message she wanted was the Lord will never abandon you. You are never alone. We see that in so many scriptures. And, um, and as, she, as she walked off of my back porch, I said, hey, would the verse be Psalm 23, 6 for you? 
and she's got it everywhere in her house. And that is where, where, where the Bible tells us, surely goodness and, and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And, and, and she just could not keep saying, you're not alone, you're not alone, you're not alone. Your safety is not even really your responsibility. And so that's a, so, so again, if you're a two or a six, you're going to get, you're going to get a little bit more information um, from that regard, just because we've got that experience. And Chrissy will be on, on the podcast that follow up with this. So next up, my friend Carissa is what I call the good time Charlie's of the, of the Enneagram, um, the, the sevens, but talk to us about the core fear of the Enneagram seven. Okay. So the seven is afraid of being deprived, trapped in emotional pain, limited or bored. They really have FOMO. So there's this real fear of missing out on something fun. And so a seven is, is really responding to this fear by positivity, by fun, by lightheartedness. They just bring this incredible life and joy to the world. And when that's done in a healthy way with healthy motivations, they're just a breath of fresh air and they're visionaries and they are one of the quickest thinkers of all nine of the Enneagram types. Just incredible. However, if they are not operating from a place of awareness or if they're triggered, all of that can become a potential liability in that they use those things as a way to avoid feeling negative emotions, to avoid feeling anything that is less than positive. Um, they don't want to be limited by anything or, or trapped by anything. And so um, just like with all of the types, the thing that is... Um, our gift to the world can also be a potential liability for us. Yes. Yeah, so you, you said something there that was really, really important. They don't want to be trapped in emotional pain. And so I, so I want listeners to, to think about that just for a second while I read to you when you know that your core fear is, tra- is triggered. When this fear is triggered, you might find it extra difficult to focus on projects, commit to relationships, and complete tasks. And so you're, you're absolutely focusing on not wanting to be trapped. Not, and so let's translate that into the Watson trauma connection. I think when you talk about being trapped in emotional pain, you really are experiencing, you really are describing trauma. So because if you've experienced trauma, you may feel trapped or reliving the trauma, which is by definition PTSD, over and over since it's your fear. You may choose any number and I think this is interesting about when I when I have joked at the beginning when I called them the good time Charlies, but they may find any number of numbing slash coping mechanisms. And that doesn't necessarily mean substance abuse. It could be like, like you said, FOMO, I'm going out, I'm doing things, I'm not leaning into the pain because I don't want to be trapped in this emotional pain. But when you walk through, through pain, because it is hard, as, as we all know, remember that Jesus came to give you this abundant life that you want, and he provides all that you ever need. But we've got to process that pain because you can't step into your First Peter two nineness that we're we're we're, we're you know co heirs with Jesus. You can't be everything if you refuse to stay trapped in that pain. And so, my listeners that are listening, you're in type seven. You, if you've had trauma, you probably spend a fair amount of your time trying to not think about it. And we talk about counseling all the time on this podcast as one of the three C's. And so I think that the, and I, and I even heard a, a relatively famous uh, Enneagram type seven talk about how she didn't want to go to counseling because 
you know, they, this type just by definition does not want to be trapped by emotional pain and will do whatever they can do, um, to, to not be. And so I found that really interesting as I was, as I was preparing. And so that brings us to the eights and, and the eights get a bad rap. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about the core fear of the Enneagram eight. All right. So the fear of the eight is they are afraid of being weak, powerless, harmed, controlled, vulnerable. Uh, They're afraid of being manipulated and left at the mercy of injustice. And so an eight oftentimes is trying to prevent being controlled. And so they usually will go on the offensive and kind of can have this mentality of I'm going to control everyone and everything before they try to control me. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm a, I'm a two, as I mentioned. And, and again, you must, must connect with Carissa on, on Instagram or any of the places because there are places that w- they each Enneagram type go. And, 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 and when stressed twos, which are me, go to eights. And I, act, I actually tested as an eight one time because it was literally in the middle of a bunch of, a bunch of trauma, a bunch of reliving, particularly my domestic violence trauma. And so I, I can tend to lean into that eight. And so, and so the, the, the message that we, that, 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 you know, that this core fear is triggered if you're an eight is when this core fear is triggered, you may find yourself with very little patience. This may cause you to push aside those who are too slow to move out of the way. And as a two who has operated in stress and in unhealth, and I'm using air quotes when I say that, for a good portion of my life, that so rings true to me. And so what I want to say to my listeners is, because in stress I tested as an, as an eight, that my trauma informed that. I did not, and I do not want to be controlled. While, and, and, I, and I tested another time, and, and then I was a two, and eight was nowhere to be found because I was in a healthy place. But for those of you out there, and there's a fair amount of my listeners who are domestic violence survivors, if you are an Enneagram 8, type 8, you are particularly going to have some work to do in a counselor's office or with an Enneagram coach like Carissa, because domestic violence, by definition, is nothing but being controlled. And so if that's your core fear anyway, and you're living it, or you have lived it, I can't stress enough the importance of professional help and understanding that your personality type might make living particularly that domestic violence trauma um, a, a little bit more difficult. And so the eight that'll come on is not a domestic violence survivor, but I think what you've said here will resonate to her um, because they do get a, a bit of a bad rap because they just, they, you know, they walk in, they put their heads down and they get things done. And you add trauma to that, particularly that fear of being controlled and, um, and it's just a, to me, it's kind of like, a, um, you know, a type A personality on steroids, because it's like, I've, I've been down this road before, I've been controlled before, and I was hurt before. And so my fear was realized. And uh, therefore, um, you know, I'm going to be the worst version of myself. And so that's what that's the message I want to give to my listeners on that. What is the core fear of the Enneagram 9? So the Enneagram 9 has a core fear of being in conflict tension, or discord. They're afraid of feeling shut out and overlooked or of losing connection with others. And so this fear often is motivating them to just kind of go along to get along. Nines have this incredible ability 
to see the world through the eyes of everyone else. So they understand all of the different perspectives, but oftentimes because of that and the need to kind of keep this peace, they have fallen asleep to their own opinions, to their own dreams, to their own desires. And, and part of the growth and the waking up for the nine is learning to realize that their voice matters mm. and that they have something significant to contribute to the world and that the world kind of needs to hear what they think and what their opinions are. Oh, we need nines. One of my, one of my closest friends is a nine and we, we need nines. But here is the core fear of or when you know you're triggered on the nine is when this fear is triggered, you may find yourself beginning to merge with the opinions of what others are believing. And, and particularly what Carissa just said is that your voice doesn't matter. And that breaks my heart. Um, it just, it, it breaks my heart as, as an empath. It breaks my heart as an Enneagram type too. But for listeners out there who are nines with trauma, you may find yourself, um, in unhealthy relationships because you just desire connection at all costs. You, you like, like Krista just said, you are seeing all the things. And so you can see all the good and all the bad. And so you probably give people a million chances. And so, you know, it is likely that a lot of nines out there have experienced trauma. It might helpful. It, it, I think that it, it just might continue to be helpful for, for type nines to remember that their voice matters. And something that I always say on this podcast, and this is especially for the nines, is I say there's there's five of them, but you are seen, known, loved, heard, and valued. And nines out there with trauma, um, you probably are confused sometimes with trauma because as Carissa said, you can see everybody's perspective. And so there are probably messages that you're telling yourself based on your ability, your superpower to see the perspective of everybody that, that your trauma is is not what it is and so um you, you may be able to see the good in the person that um that that caused as i call them your trauma makers and that's not a bad thing um but just know that um as 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 an enneagram type nine where it is so important for your voice to matter if you've experienced trauma it is oftentimes that you will have been silenced and this fear will be realized to the nth degree and that makes me sad and so just remember that your voice does matter and that you matter. And so much so um, that, that, that God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And that is true about obviously all of us. But I have a tender place in my heart for, for the nines um, because uh, they, uh, just, we need nines. We need everybody, but I have a tender spot for the nines. And so what we're going to move into next, and we're going to do this relatively quickly because I know that everybody's time is important. But this is going to be a part, and again, you've got to take the deep dive on this, but it becomes in childhood messaging, but it, but, but, and I'm going to let Carissa do all of, all of the explaining of this, but this is meant to close out the podcast before we connect with our three C's and the stars of the story to tell you, tell your heart the message that not only you need to hear, but that is true based on scripture. Krista, I guess, talk to us first about childhood messaging. What is it and why it's important? And what are the pitfalls of us talking about this in this context? Yeah, so the childhood message is the message that people experience either directly or indirectly that they interpreted from their childhood. And, and there are three different types of childhood messages 
There's wounding messages that arrive with an intent to harm, or there's a, a perception of harm. There are injuring messages that result from something harmful that happens, but without ill intent. And then influencing messages, which arrive intending to shape or to guide. And so what the Enneagram framework helps us to do is understand that each Enneagram type has a childhood message that they picked up on that was given to them either implicitly or explicitly. And so what I mean by that is we're all human beings who were raised by human parents. None of us escaped childhood without a childhood wounding message. That's just part of being human. And so for all the parents who are listening, what I don't want you to walk away from is thinking that you have, you know, messed up your kids, <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. depending on what Enneagram type they become. The bottom line is no parent, no matter how healthy, no matter how incredible they are, can fulfill all of the needs of their children all of the time. It's just impossible. And so every single one of us grows up and becomes an adult and carries some type of childhood messaging, wounding childhood messaging. My Enneagram teacher, Beth McCord, uses an example, an illustration that I think is really important, and that is uh, timeout. Okay. So we all know that kids pay attention to everything, but they can be terrible interpreters, right? Right. And so think of a, a child who makes a, a choice and the consequences timeout. So there can be a wounding message with that timeout, which is, you know, the parent sends the child into timeout and just leaves them there and never goes back to love and repair and help them understand why there was a consequence. You know, um, think of abuse stories where children are just, you know, locked away and put away because they forgot to pick up their shoes or something. Then you have injuring messages, which are not intentional, but they just happen. So think of the, the parent who sends the child into timeout, and then the parent gets distracted by the other kids in the house, or by a work call, or by making dinner, and they forget to go get the kid for 30 minutes. That child has you know, absorbed a wounding message that was not intentional. Right on the behalf of the parent. In fact, probably every parent with good intentions has forgotten to get their kid out of timeout at some point. Okay. <laughs> and then we have the parent who, you know, sends the kid into timeout and the kid experiences the timeout. And then the parent goes back in and explains to the child that they are still loved. And there's, you know, a hug and there's comfort and there's love. So, so there can be an experience of timeout and it can be experienced different ways and it can be interpreted different ways, depending on the child, depending on the parent and the circumstances. And so what's helpful about the childhood message that is unique to each Enneagram type is it helps us understand why we interpreted our childhood one way but all of our siblings interpreted it a different way. Right. It's the lens through which we interpret much of our childhood stories. And freedom comes with understanding as an adult that, okay, I've been interpreting my life and my story through this lens. And it's not true. Mm. 
And so what do I begin to do with that? So I'll give you one last example is I have had an Enneagram type two client in the past who had for all intents and purposes, a pretty great childhood, good parents, healthy parents, good enough parents. She had a very explicit memory of her, uh, one of her parents, I'm trying not to be too specific here, giving her the wounding childhood message. So for the type two, it's that it's not okay to have needs of your own. And so this parental figure expressed directly to this child that it's not okay for them to have needs that impact the other parent, that frustrate the other parent. She also received implicit messages that it was you know, kind of a big deal whenever she had a need or whenever she had big emotions or whenever she didn't do things the way that the parents around her needed her to. So she had an explicit message that was clear and direct. And then there were lots of implicit messages over the course of her childhood. So what winds up happening is even those of us who are good enough parents, I think myself included, who's raising three kids, my kids are going to grow up and they're going to have an Enneagram type and they're going to have a childhood message and wound regardless of how good I am. Right, right. Because yeah. we're humans and we live in a broken and fallen world and there's no way for any parent to always meet the needs of their child every time they have a need. It's impossible. And so what I want to make sure we do is that we don't ever set anyone up to think that they've ruined their kids um, because this is just kind of part of being human right. is we're going to have these, these messages, but there's hope just like with the core fear and the way that we can experience healing around the core fear, we can experience healing when it comes to the messaging as well. What I want each Enneagram type to know um, is what your heart longs to hear and you you you've you, you've kind of alluded to them a few times on the core fears but in the context of trauma what is the message the core longing message that the enneagram type one wants to hear and you did mention this earlier but let's go ahead just for for clarity's sake and do that again please yeah so the the childhood message of the type one the thing that they interpreted whether their parents were healthy or not healthy, whether they experienced childhood trauma or not, somehow they interpreted the message, it's not okay to be wrong or to make mistakes. And so the message that their heart longs to hear and, and the message that we as parents can speak over our kids, whether they're young or we have adult kids, the message we can speak over our Enneagram One spouses or our Enneagram One friends is you are good. Yeah. You are good. I think one of my kids might be a type one. We don't type kids, but we can allow information to inform. And every night at bedtime with this specific kid, I will pray over them and in the prayer remind them that they are good. I have chills. I absolutely have chills. And so in the context of trauma for my listeners out there, you experience trauma. You find you have that inner critic that we talked about. Um, you need to hear today that you are good, even if you never did anything else. Period. 
you are good. One of the examples that Carissa brought to me in my coaching was when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And your question to me was, do you think about the timeline of that? And I have a minor in Bible and I'm thinking, and I remember you just doing what you're doing now, just let me talk. And I was like, and you said, when did Jesus receive the message from the Father? And it was before he had done a single thing. And so for both people out there who don't have trauma, who are Enneagram 1, and those that do, for those that you are good, and there's nothing else to say. There, we don't need to say enough behind that. We need to say mm-hmm. you are good, and you are made in the likeness of God, as we see in Genesis 3.26, you are good. And so let's move on to the twos, the childhood uh, wounding message, and then our core longing. So for the two, the message that they received is that it's not okay to have needs of your own. And so the message that they long to hear is you are wanted and loved. Yes, that is the message that we long to hear. And so for those of you out there in trauma land, like me, um, where I was abandoned, and, and those my listeners know that and, and abused and, and, and a lot. And so I, both of those things were true. I wasn't wanted or loved, right? And so it is very difficult to get into the coding of my brain. This next thing that you're going to tell me is the truth of what my, what my heart longs to hear, which is what? You are wanted and loved. I am wanted and loved, and so are you out there, other Enneagram 2s. So that brings us to the threes, to the achieve. To, 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 I, I kind of call them the achievers because I, you know, I wing there. Talk to me about the childhood wounding message and longing. So their message is it's not okay for you to have your own feelings and identity. And so they shape shift and they become who they think they need to be in order to be perceived as successful. And so the message that they long to hear kind of the antidote, so to speak, is for the three that you are loved and valued simply for being you. And so, you know, with one of my other kids who I think may have some type three tendencies, I learned this in a book a long time ago, but um, we've been doing this since they were really young child. And I would say, do I love you because you're smart? And they would say, no. And I had to teach them to do this. Do I love you because you're kind? No. Do I love you because you're beautiful? No. Do I love you because you're a great big sister? No. Do I love you because you're creative? No. And I would go on and on, you know. I just... Are you all of those things? Yes. Why do I love you? Because I'm just me. Wow. And so those are just a couple of examples of how we can begin to use those messages, the, the you know, healing messages to speak life over people, um, over our kids, over our nieces and nephews and spouses, you know, to, to counteract some of the wounding messages that are just naturally going to happen because we're human and we live in a broken world. Right. And so my, my, my type three trauma survivors out there... Um, Again, you're, you're loved for you. And even though your trauma may have told you differently, your trauma is not God. 
And we, we know that, that, just as we mentioned, that we don't have to do anything to be loved by God. Um, he, he's not impressed by anything that we do. And so for those type threes out there who are performing their way out of, and I'm thinking in particular, some type threes that I know that have some trauma that, you know, they just will put their head down and go full bore and, um, want to receive, um, you know, they try to, they want that identity that you talked about. And so, so they, they, they go crazy and doing that, particularly in trauma, because their identity is often found in that trauma. It is informed by that trauma. And so uh, again, threes out there, I hope you hear that healing message. And so that brings us to four. Um, I hope everybody's impressed to how well I can count. Um, so, <laughs> so let's talk about the, the type fours. So the fours receive this message that it's not okay to be too much and not enough. And so for the four, what they really are craving and longing to hear is that they are seen and loved for exactly who they are. Uh, They want to be seen and understood. So a little different from the three, the delineation a little bit is more they want to be seen and for who they are yeah yeah right 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 that makes sense yeah so for the fours and and out there um who have experienced trauma really the message is the same i think you think you're seeing a a a a pattern here but that your your trauma may have been put may have put you into a spot where you weren't seen that core longing that you have, but you are seen, please know that you're seen, you know that if you listen to this podcast at all. And so don't let your trauma tell you differently and uh, run, run, run towards that longing, because I think that's really important for all of us. And so that brings us to the to the type five. So the five really interprets this message that it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. And so for them, the thing that they're craving, that they long to hear, is that their needs are not a problem. Mm -hmm. And so fives are often, they often feel um, like they don't understand the people around them. Uh, Like like the people around them have this social awareness that, that they didn't get access to, that they have to work harder to comprehend. And so for them to understand that their needs are not a problem, that they can withdraw, that they can set boundaries, that they can experience silence and solitude and, and those kinds of things, um, it's a message that, that they long to hear that their needs are not a problem. Yeah, and I know I, I grew up in the children's home with a lot of kids that, you know, some of them I could probably ping as a, as a five. And, and so what they what I found and what I find in my, my opportunities to work with people and I don't know whether they're type fives or not, but but they will diminish their trauma. They will diminish their pain because they don't feel comfortable in the world, and they've not received the message that their long that their heart longs to hear is that it's okay for you to have needs. It's okay for you to you know say no. I can't go to X block because you know you need that downtime to decompress and to work through things. And and so for type fives out there. Um, we need you as we've mentioned before, but, but, but we want you to feel comfortable in the world and we want you to know that your needs matter 
that, that, that they matter to us. And so um, that brings us to six. Um, what is the messages for the six? So the six has picked up on the message that it's not okay to trust or depend on their self. And so the message that they long to hear is that they are safe and secure. They're safe and secure. And, you know, here's a bonus piece of this. So much of the work for a six is learning to trust their self to trust their decisions, to trust in their ability, to, to not feel like they have to go to, you know, every source or committee or person in their life to talk through the possibilities that they can trust their ability to make a decision. And at the end of the day, that they are safe and secure. Yeah, and, and, and that's a tough one. And so you're speaking to, uh, we are speaking to primarily survivors of trauma. And so this issue of safetyness and trusting yourself, um, survivors will blame themselves because they didn't, you know, they didn't make the right decision. They didn't put themselves in the right spot. They didn't make sure everything was safe. Kind of like Chrissy said, they will absolutely obsess on it's my fault. And what do I do to make it not happen again? And, and so trauma, uh, for the six informing them that they cannot trust themselves because, they put themselves in the situation, in their mind, they put themselves in the situation for the traumatic event to happen, and therefore they must spend all of their energy for the rest of their days um, finding a way to not do that again. But the truth is you are safe, and you are loved. And doing life with a six, as I mentioned, who loves to do it by committee, um, you got the best committee at all with access to the throne where I, the book of Hebrews says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And so for the sixes of the world, you are safe. You are. And it, even though your trauma may tell you differently, you are safe. And so that brings us to our sevens, our good time Charlie's. What is their messaging? So the seven has picked up on this message that it's not okay to depend on others for anything. And so the message that they long to hear is you will be taken care of. You will be taken care of is the message they long to hear. And so I can't think of any other scripture than, than and, and, and I will put the, the, the reference in the show notes and you may know it, but um, I will never leave you or forsake you is a promise that we have from God. And so for, so for, for, for trauma survivors, um, I think that that's important messaging for us for us to remember um, as sevens is that that truth is there regardless of your trauma and 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 your personality did not cause that trauma. That's always my concern with sevens is is that you know they're out there right and so um, maybe perhaps people have preyed on on that that type of personality that FOMO that fear of messing out that fear of going out and doing things and things of that nature and so your trauma informing you, but tell us again what the core longing again of the seven is, because I have some important people listening that are sevens. You will be taken care of. You will be taken care of. And so even though your trauma has told you differently that maybe you weren't taken care of, or it appears as though you weren't taken care of, because I, I, I know that one day we're going to stand before God and it's all going to make sense that you will be taken care of, you are being taken care of, and ultimately you were taken care of because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And so, um, so that, that's to my, my seven peeps. Talk to us about the eights. 
So the eights interpreted that it's not okay to trust or be vulnerable with anyone. And so the thing that they really long to hear is that you will not be betrayed. And I wanted that to breathe for a minute because, again, we're talking the majority of my audience are trauma survivors. And so that, that your core desire, your core longing, the thing you need to hear is that you will not be betrayed. If you are a trauma survivor, you have been betrayed. And so it might be difficult for you to believe us when we tell you. And that's true of all this, by the way, uh, trauma survivors. It's hard for me to know that I'm wanted and loved. It's hard for Chrissy to know that she's safe. It's, it's, you know, she will be safe. It's hard for all, you know, Enneagram. It's, all of it is hard when, you're, when your trauma is informing it. And that's the point of the podcast. And so if you're an Enneagram 8 and, um, and, you, and that, core, that, that core longing is to not be betrayed and you have been betrayed, know that, I, that, that we understand that and, 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 and just know the truth. You know, Bebo Norman has a song that called, uh, If Your Faith is Hard to Find, You Can Borrow Mine. And uh, borrow ours on this number eight is that um, you, you will not be betrayed. God will always be there with you. Well, and here's the thing. I have two things on that. One, I'm a pastor and I don't believe that you have to believe all of the right things about God in order to experience his love and his goodness. Amen. I just don't. Because if that was the case, none of us would get to experience exactly. it. Exactly. Because who in the world knows all of the right things about God? So there's that piece. The other piece is these core longings, they're really meant to help us gain understanding of where some of our pain and our wounding comes from. Because at the end of the day, living in this world, this broken and fallen world, am I ever going to perfectly experience and trust that I am loved and valued simply for being me? Is it, is it, is it possible for me every moment of every day to believe the message that I will never be betrayed? Right. And so, so when we're able to kind of step back from that and go, well, that's the message that my heart most longs to hear, but I'm not going to get to experience that perfectly right now. And so there's a, a, a disconnect there. And sometimes what that draws us into is some awareness and some understanding of why we have some of the responses and reactions and defense mechanisms that we do. For sure. And, and part of it might be releasing some expectations of, there's no human being in my life that's going to be able to satisfy this core longing. There's no structure, no job, no sense of security, really, in my opinion, outside of God that's able to satisfy this longing. And even with God, it requires a lot of faith yeah. and trusting in what I cannot see and what I cannot fully comprehend or explain. 100%. And that's, you know, uh, you, that reminds me of Romans 8.18, uh, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And so we're not going to feel all of these things as we move into the nine. You're not, I'm not always going to feel wanted and loved. Uh, both of us teared up when we talked about that part, and we've been working together for months now. And you had to go into your coaching voice and go, you are wanted and loved because you're looking at me knowing she still doesn't quite believe it. And guys, I've been in church since I was 10 years old and I know and love and, and, and believe in the sovereignty of God, but I don't always believe that. And so don't feel discouraged if you're, we're just providing what your heart needs to hear in hopes that it will help you seek 
those things and help you understand. I can't, I can't stress the word awareness enough in Enneagram work. So let's move to the nine quickly. Um, what is the messaging for the nine? So the nine interpreted that it's not okay to assert yourself or think much of yourself. Mm. And so the message that the nine needs to hear is your presence matters. You know, this core longing, regardless of what type we're talking about, you know, that you are good. Well, not all the time. Right. If we're basing it off of our behavior and our actions, that there is a core part of us that has inherent worth and value that God says is good. Um, You know, that you are loved and valuable simply for being you not according to everyone, right? Right, And so I think for me, and I am a PTSD survivor, the thing that's been important for me to, to understand in my healing process is the only one that can satisfy this core longing for me is God. Yeah. And the, the trauma that I have experienced or that, that we have experienced was at human hands. And that, I am safe with God. I am loved by God. I am valued by God. I will never be betrayed by God. And and I don't want to simplify those things because that can do more harm than good. Some of us have felt betrayed by God. Some of us have felt rejected by God, unloved and unwanted by God. And so part of the work, part of the healing that we do in therapy Uh, is learning to distinguish those things that I might have felt like God didn't protect me, like he didn't keep me safe. Um, And that's a valid feeling. And some of it I'll never have answers for completely. What I'm learning is to trust that he is still with me, that he was there, that he's with me now, that he is healing, that he is restoring, that he is redeeming, that I can see that. And so what I don't ever want to do with these things is oversimplify them Thank because you. so much of this is complex. So much of it is mysterious. And the only reason I think I even feel like I can speak to this is because I've experienced it personally. I know what it's like to feel like, God, where were you when I came face to face with the most horrific evil? And how do I reconcile that with what I think? think is true about you. But at the end of the day, these core longings are only satisfied by God. Right. And some days I believe it more than others. Right. And I think that's part of being human too. And so, you know, if you're listening and you're going, well, that sounds good, but I don't know that I believe it to be true. I want you to know that you're not alone. And I want you to know that it's okay to take that question to God. It's okay to take that doubt to God and to be really brutally honest with him. My heart longs to hear that I am safe and secure, but I don't feel safe and secure. So help me experience that as truth. Um, God, my core longing is that I will not be betrayed, but I feel betrayed. That has been my experience. And so God, help me reconcile that. And and my personal experience and and what I have seen in the lives of the people that I've been privileged to minister to is that God always meets us in those questions. He never leaves us hanging. He doesn't always answer when we want him to, and he doesn't usually answer the way that we want him to. 
But I keep coming back to this place of God is good. He is good to me and to everyone that he has created. His grace is good to all of us. And so God help me to trust. And you know, the other thing with these core longings, Amy, and we kind of touched on this already is we, we can't control whether or not we experience the core longing and we can't control whether or not other people experience it, but we can be conduits of this in the lives of the people around us. And so to say to the type nine in your life, through your words and your actions, your presence matters is how we love them well. To say to the eight in your life, through your words and through your actions, most especially, that you will not be betrayed is so good. And go on and on and on. And And so there's this, you know, there's community here that that here's the message I want to hear. And and I long to hear and God satisfies that. But but we can also be a part of satisfying that for one another. You hit on something that we talk about all the time, community. And so the three C's. Trauma-informed counseling, of which we've talked about here today, community, what you just talked about, so that we can come alongside, whether you're a trauma survivor or not, understanding what each other needs to know and hear and doing life with them. That's the kindest thing that we can do for each other. And then, and then, and then finally, the church, which we don't have time to talk about, but then the star of the story, who we've been talking about this entire time, Jesus, who is not unfamiliar with our sufferings. And so um, I hope that this has been helpful to those of you who are interested in the Enneagram. I did ask Carissa, because uh, many of you are going to send me messages, so I'm going to try to try to thwart that here so I don't get um, thousands of messages. If you are interested in knowing what type you may identify as, uh, Carissa has has recommended to us at this point, and this will change at some point because she's going to have her own test, but the Enneagram Institute.com. Um, you can go there and take a test and then come back and listen. We will be back in two weeks with um, each type and they will have the opportunity to listen to Carissa and um, they will respond in real time as it pertains to their trauma or just their everyday life. And so Carissa, I adore you. Thank you so much for this. This has meant everything to me. And um, I just, you're just amazing. You're out there doing God's work, and um, and 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 that's that's not the the, the two um, um, over overly complimenting you. I am so grateful for you um, in so many ways, and um, and I hope that it's fun for you to watch a miracle in front of your eyes as as we're doing mm-hmm. twice a month um, these days. And so, thank you uh, for being here today. And um, I will provide in the show links everywhere everybody can find you um i know that you're booked out a little bit right now but um i highly recommend any of you guys who want some deep deeply meaningful healing work uh as it pertains uh to the enneagram trauma or not um to consider uh, an enneagram coach and particularly carissa um or beth mccord those are the only two that i would recommend you to and i only know beth mccord (laughs) because i see her on instagram but carissa's the real deal and i just wanted to thank you for being here today It's a great honor, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Well, guys, thank you so much. I know that this was a little bit more of your time that you spent with me than usual. I hope that each of you that listened to this found value in this episode that Carissa brought to us. It is so important to understand who God made us and how he made us, what we are afraid of, what we fear, what we long for, and ultimately who can provide that for us. 
I do hope that you saw the thread of community through these podcasts as we cannot do this life alone. And so as I mentioned before, the easiest way to find Carissa is carissaharrison.com. You can also head to all of her socials. I will provide those in the show links as well. And then also you can always reach me by hitting that contact Amy link right in the show notes. Coming up next in two weeks, we have a lot of work to do before we get there, but we will have interviews with each Enneagram type and how this episode, both of these episodes, resonated with them, regardless of whether they have trauma or not. I'm excited to bring those to you. Some of my favorite people in the world are going to be on those podcasts. And so, until I see you again here in the Healing Zone in two weeks, remember, you're seen, known, loved, heard, and valued.